once you start to recognize your own conditioning and you realize that everything really is opposite, like, yes, we want to keep our children safe and free, but in a lot of situations, those are very opposing things. Like, yes, yes I want you not to wear your shoes, but those rocks also look sharp. Yeah. So like, do I make you put like one shoe on? Like, I don't, and, <laughs> and I don't know. And then, and then on top of that, we have the judgment, right? Like I grew up in a very rule-based family, hmm. which I didn't realize perhaps didn't serve me. And maybe it did in some ways. Right. But now I find that I have such a hard time with not giving out rules, but I also have such a hard time with the rules yeah. because very few of them make sense to me, yet yeah. I grew up following all of them without questioning them. Welcome to the Genius Unleashed podcast with Carly Marie. This is where we have potent conversations all around the idea of unleashing the genius within you, within me, within your clients, and within the next generation. Enjoy. Welcome to this episode. I asked Natalie Charlotte to come and speak to us simply because the conversations that we have and the connections that we've made have been so beautiful and nourishing. People have asked me before, how do I get on your podcast? And I said, I have to be in love with your content. <laughs> that's how. I have to follow you and be in love with the things that you say. That's how you get on my podcast. So that's how this happened. I was just like, man, this woman is saying some really beautiful and fascinating things and not enough people are seeing it. Well, if there's anything I can do to get some more people seeing it, I wanted to I wanted to be a part of that. We've connected in a number of ways and I think that we both have a really deep fascination around young people and around what we can learn from them and around how we can help clear their path to make this world a better place. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Now, in terms of your professional background, let's throw that in so people just kind of know where you've come from to be coming to this conversation mm. so you are uh, an OT PD OT do yep. you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah I'm a pediatric OT I went to school originally for piano and so then in a very roundabout way I ended up teaching piano to kids with special needs and then I went on to OT to really help injured musicians ultimately I realized that there's a lot of aspects of that part of it that I really wasn't good at and I really connected more with kids and so then I went into pediatrics had my own practice for a while since being in your world that has sort of <laughs> that illusion has shattered right and I I'm kind of stepping out of that profession so I'm I'm a bit in no man's land but I've taken a lot of what of the principles that I've learned in terms of the neurology and, and, and the neuroscience, which is really what I find very fascinating, like kind of starting from the beginning when we're, when we're working with children and building on that. So it's all related, but it's certainly a shift out of kind of that, that professional box of some sort. So, so the kind of one-on-one -on -one practice, seeing one person at a time more shifting into, okay, how can I take what I know bigger and maybe help more people in different ways right mm, yeah exactly and being more of like finding the gap in as to when parents are starting to realize that perhaps their child or their children have some different issues that they are unable to kind of identify with or it's becoming a struggle being the first place of contact to have that just really easy information because I'm a huge proponent of when we know more as parents, like when we're empowered, we're educated on a really foundational level about what's going on in the brain, then we have the ability to really support our children in a really easy way versus having to always rely on somebody else to tell us and then piecemealing things together, which may or may not work. So 
it's more about embodying it, I guess. And I think we all have the ability to do that. We're just not told that we do. So it, it feels a lot bigger than I think it actually is. So to be the person who can kind of help people in a really easy way through more groups and, and programs to get that basic knowledge so that then they can take it and apply it to their own family and child. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's so cool. Some of the things that I love about your content, you talk about sensory stuff a lot. And I know I've been on a real journey with both of my kids actually around some some sensory processing things one a bit of a seeker and one a bit of an avoider I suppose and it's been beautiful to watch your you have this beautiful curiosity you're not like well I'm a pediatric OT so I know how things are and this is how it should be you're kind of like here's my kid doing this thing and isn't this fascinating and I feel like there's something I can learn from that and and that has helped me to look at my kids through a similar kind of a lens. And I'm so grateful to you for that. Yesterday, my son took a, a good 30 minutes of trying to find socks that didn't feel weird. And he the patience was incredible. I mean, of course, he would have some big releases every now and again, but putting on a sock, no, that one doesn't feel right. Okay, next sock, no, that one, no. Okay, no, not inside out, no, that's not going to work. Shoes on. And then we went to the beach. And of course, the first, as soon as we get there, shoes and socks are off. And I didn't require that he wore them. He wanted to wear them. Mm -hmm. And they were off. And he sat there just gently pouring sand through his fingers onto his feet onto the bottom of his feet and I could just tell him like firstly I, I wanted to be annoyed like you're kidding you're like your shoes and socks are off now after that half an hour and now you're just pouring sand all over your feet like what the hell but then I looked at him like oh he's like showing love to his little feet like that would feel so lovely and soft like his little overwhelmed feet that have been put in this shoe and sock jail for the last mm. however long and I was just like, man, I could learn something from you. So I really wanted that to be the topic of our conversation is, I guess, how our kids school us, how the things we can learn from them just by being curious and just for a minute stepping out of trying to control them mm. and just getting really curious about them because aren't they just brilliant little bloody geniuses when it comes to listening to their bodies? Mm. It's crazy. So I... Going back to my background as a therapist in therapy world, we're very much taught to find the problem and then fix it. And so for X number of years, up until very recently, I was in that mindset of, okay, when a child comes to me, I literally look at them for problems and then I come up with solutions and fix it. And so it was very much like, okay, here's this issue, like with your son, with the socks, it's like, okay, well, let's look at this. Let's look at the other tactile discrimination. Like, let's look at the other dysfunctions and so that then we can fix it. So it's functional. And really, honestly, since being in your world, it's, it's not only has it kind of shattered this, like we don't need to be in just one profession or just look at something in a certain way because we're taught that it's now it was like I'm like oh my gosh like what am I doing I don't I'm I'm advocating for inclusion and I'm advocating for children not to be labeled certain ways and put in the boxes yet I'm craving that for myself and for my own kids I I feel so out of control when I'm not boxing them in and of course my son my oldest son especially it's it's like every single thing that I was taught as a child, like everything, like be polite, be nice, like people, please, you have to do it a certain way. Like these aren't my rules. They're just society rules. You just do it. Uh, you can't like a lot of things. Like, you can't do that. You can't run like that. Like you have to put your shoes on. He challenges every single one of those things for me. <laughs> and so once I started opening up that lens, right, of being like, okay, well, I can't put you into a box. And part of it was because too, I think when we're the mother of a child, especially a child who is neurodiverse, it's like, 
even with my whole educational background, it was like, when I look at him, like nothing comes into my head. Like I can't, I can't think as a therapist. I'm just, I just like look at him. And so if I was on the outside, I'd be like, okay, we'll do this, this, and this. I look at him and I'm just like, it's just me and him. Right. And so it becomes very confronting because I'm like, ah, I want to be able to fix you. I want to be able to put you in this box and I can't do any of those things. And you don't fit. Of course, he doesn't fit into any of the typical labels. And so that's, you know, being in your world also and kind of shattering everything. And then that on top of it, I was like, what am I, you know, what am I doing? And I think that that's not a bad question for us to have as parents, just to be like, what, like, what is actually going on here? And do I want to do it? Do I not want to do it? Is it serving me? Is it serving them? And so, yeah, it's just, it's really just taking the back seat and being like, wow, you know, this just happened. I, I don't, I'm just going to sit here, I guess, and watch. <laughs> I'm just going to get so that's sort of where I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of crazy. Yeah. One of the things that I both love and hate about parenting is that it's like our job is to keep them safe, but I feel like our job is also to keep them free and to be like this champion of their freedom as in, you know, and I'm a homeschooling parent. I know that you've kind of thought about and, and talked about your little guys are just little, right? But yeah, like I, the, one of the reasons for that is because I want to really keep them free. I really want to keep them able to not wear shoes and socks for a whole day if they want to and Mm -hmm. not have to necessarily put this hat on. Like if they're going outside and I'm like, it's early in the morning, why the hat, right? Like it's not not required. It's just a rule. And for for them to be able to play for as long as they like and a bell not go and make it stop. And, you know, some kids thrive in that environment. They really do. It feels like freedom to them. For some people, routine feels like freedom. For my kid, my older kid, who's the one who's school age, it just doesn't. It just doesn't fit her. And it fitted me. Like I liked school. And so I look at her and I want her, as you said, like you look at your kid and like he shatters all of the illusions, all of the things that you thought to be true about life is that you just do this and this is how it is and all of that. And it's just like, man, you're really teaching me how conditioned I am. And, and also teaching me that not everyone is like me. My daughter is so different to me. She's a lot more like a dad hated school. So smart. He's become very successful later in life in his career, but every, just about every teacher he came across, never thought that was going to happen. And so keeping them free, I think we forget that that's a component of it. And I think that I just think you, you speak to that, whether you try to or not, I think your content, the things you post online and, and I'll drop some links for people to come and find you. But what I see is you really wanting to keep them free and to help them to to create an environment in which they can be who they are and express who they are and because let's talk about regulation right like mm-hmm. we I know that you, you are so wise on this and we could probably do 10 episodes right maybe we will let's see but helping them be regulated like kids want to in inverted commas behave right mm-hmm. like if they're not it's because they cannot. Oh gosh, I have so much. So this is exactly, it's so interesting. And yeah. it's it's funny that you bring up my post because I feel, I so feel like I'm in this no man's land. And it's because it's once you start to recognize your own conditioning and you realize that everything really are, are is opposite. Like, yes, we want to keep our children safe and free, but in a lot of situations, those are very opposing things. Like, yes, yes I want you not to wear your shoes, but those rocks also look sharp. Yeah. So like, <laughs> 
do I make you put like one shoe on? Like, I don't, and, and I don't know. And then, and then on top of that, we have the judgment, right? Like I grew up in a very rule-based family, hmm. which I didn't realize perhaps didn't serve me. And maybe it did in some ways. Right. But now I find that I have such a hard time with not giving out rules, but I also have such a hard time with the rules yeah. because very few of them make sense to me. Yet yeah. I grew up following all of them without questioning them. So it's almost like I should have done all of this when I was like six years old. So I feel like, like this little kid who's kind of wandering around like, um, well, I mean, I guess that doesn't really make sense. So we don't really want to do that. Or I'm like, oh, we have to get diagnoses. And then I'm like, oh, that doesn't really make sense. So, you know, so it's like this very weird flip-flop, but yeah, going back to regulation, it's kind of the same thing where our, our, our society has these expected behaviors. And I think we do because it, it gives us this sense of control. And when we are, when we feel like we are in control, that oftentimes reduces anxiety. And so we feel safe. And if we're not internally used to feeling safe, we look to the external world. So a lot of times we're looking to the external world, our environment to control it in order to be safe. And I think that's where we have this need to behave a certain way and to have people behave a certain way because otherwise it feels unsafe because we internally, I think a lot of us, I mean, now, like you just think of our society, like just throw out the terms that when you think of society, like stressed, like anxious, you know, kind of all of these things like overworked. And so the mental state of kind of us as a whole, I think isn't sound internally, but we don't really recognize it. So I used to have this very big goal of using the brain and changing the neural pathways to make every child feel regulated. And I still think that's a huge component, but it's, it's like, once you start knowing you can't unknow things. And so now once I got the, you know, have more of the emotional piece into it in the more of all, like all these other, other pieces, like what we're eating and all of these things, I'm like, well, now it's basically just everything, which it makes it harder to talk about and teach because it's like, well, everything is important versus just this one thing. Yeah. One of the things that I love, and, and it probably takes us back a little bit to the, like what we learn from our kids is that you speak about regulation, not just helping your kids be regulated, which is, you know, when they feel okay and kind of, you know, they can hear us and they can learn and all of that. When they're unregulated, dysregulated, they, they can't. Like when a kid's in the middle of a meltdown, mm -hmm. you can yell at them. They're not learning anything right. from anything you're saying right it's been such a learning for me and you speak about regulating you as well right because mm -hmm. the thing is when I'm when I'm okay when I'm regulated when I'm when I've got me my kids are so much better off and I'm so much more easily able to show up for them I think one of the things you do beautifully is be really curious and about how kids regulate themselves when we kind of just step back and watch and, and get out of the way a little bit you know and and be there to support and all that sort of thing but to kind of let them do their thing a little bit and see how they do regulate I know you've been watching your boys in this kind of sensory experiment and watching the different sensory kinds of things they do just like laying on warm sand and like you get down there and lay there with him and be like wow this does feel super cool like wow this mm -hmm. is like relaxing my body because we're not much good to them if we're not regulated ourselves, right? Mm, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that I grew up with, you know, sensory issues, as I think a lot of us who have children who, who are neurodiverse do. And yeah. I was basically raised as if those were choice behaviors. So 
for me, I was very sensitive to loud noises. And I was kind of told that that was a choice I was making. And so eventually I got over it because when you're a child and, and people tell you things, you don't know any different. So you just kind of assume that whatever's happening is the truth. And I think that- Even if it goes that, completely against what your body is telling you, right? Right, like I'm, you know, and you can't even, it's so interesting because a lot of people I think are anxious and a lot of children are anxious, but just because it doesn't show up as what you perceive to be anxiety or what you are told to be anxiety doesn't mean that the feeling isn't there. And so that was sort of a big realization for me. Like we can't assume what people are feeling based on their behaviors because I, I'm not inside their brain. Like I could hold it together at some times and be really scared and other times some a little thing could happen and I could be just as scared and show it in a completely different way. Yeah. But I do think that for a lot of us, we sort of missed the point in the boat in terms of where we, our values lie. And I think that's just more of a fault of how, especially as moms were taught to be in society and what, what we should do, but getting back to this idea of how do we experience the world and use what's in it to help ourselves feel just like more connected and right. Like when we're regulated, then when I'm regulated, I'm, I just have so much more patience. Like I'm not as triggered. And I'm also able when I am, when my, I'm really annoyed, I'm able to realize what's going on. Like today I started yelling at my kids. And then I was like, wait a minute, what's going on? And I was like, oh, I'm hungry. Like again, <laughs> like a six-year-old, like I should have figured that out that when I'm hungry, like I get cranky, but it's taken a long time to have that awareness and to be able to stop and be like, okay, is this me? Like, mm -hmm. is it really? hard like is it really that bad that my kid wants to follow the dog around and pet him I mean <laughs> no <laughs> but it felt really hard and I was so hungry like I'd forgotten to eat so you know things like that and I think we kind of skip over like that's a very basic need that I think a lot of us have forgotten to tune back into seriously that's the thing when as you said like we maybe our parents society teachers whoever as we're growing up tell us how it is like it's not time to eat yet right so it's almost like we're programmed you think about school it's like you eat at this time and this time and so I think eventually we can lose track of listening to our body it's one of the reasons why I do home school because I'm like I want my kids to eat when they're hungry like I don't want them to eat because the bowel says it's time to eat like they may or may not be hungry and they might be hungry at other times so like it's unsurprising really if we look at conditioning how we grew up and this is in everywhere it's in just about every aspect of life we have conditioning and when we look at how we were raised and that's the beautiful thing we can look at that and it's not to say that our parents did a bad job or anyone was doing a bad job like everyone's doing the best they can with what they've got right the information they've got we have a bit more information now about how things work we've got a bit more context we can look back and go oh I see why I see one of the reasons I forget to eat right like and it happens to my daughter my daughter we think we're waiting for our official diagnosis but probably has ADHD and and from what I'm reading forgetting to eat is often a thing with ADHD right? <clears throat> yeah 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 so you know there's obviously a lot of factors but because of that I kind of want her to be able to learn how to listen to her body and, and notice more and have a bit more spaciousness to do that to pay attention to her body and and it might mean that at times I'm going to ask are you hungry and things like that but it's yeah it's cool we can look at how our conditioning plays out and go like hmm do I want to do this differently with my kids do mm -hmm. I want them to not have to do quite as much deconditioning as I've got to do you know yeah yeah and I think that one of the reasons why a lot of kind of what we set up as a society works less well for people who are neurodiverse is because mm. you're right like I look at my son and myself and I'm like gosh I when I'm hungry I really can't function and I see that in him too or when I'm tired it's like everything is just so hard like my ability to kind of compensate 
for those basic bodily things is a lot less. And I, and I have found that to be true. And just my experience as a therapist, like the children who have difficulty with sensory processing seem to have difficulty with, um, they just seem to be more responsive to the environment. So when they're hungry, it's not like I'm a little bit hungry. It's like, I'm really hungry. Or when I'm Mm. tired, it's like, I'm really tired. And it just impacts everything like that much more. And so of course, when we're told like, you can only eat at this certain time, and I can't even recognize when I'm hungry until I'm, you know, extremely hungry versus just a little bit hungry, then I'm going to have a lot more trouble just kind of functioning throughout the day because I don't pick up on those signs necessarily, like innately. This is something that you speak about, particularly more recently, is this kind of inclusivity and understanding neurodiversity and understanding that it's it's so imperative that we all work together to create a world that is more I don't know suitable more beneficial more helpful more like I don't know usable survivable for someone who is different like yeah we live in a world that is set up for neurotypical people set up for neurotypical people to thrive and the only way that changes is if we change it the people within it society is is the sum of its parts right and we are part of its parts I think having conversations like this so helpful you've got an event coming up if, if you're hearing this down the track the event might have passed but you might still be able to access it tell me about this event you're making and why why is this important yeah. Yeah, it's called included, or I'm calling it included. And it's about how we raise kind and inclusive kids. And it, and it goes back to kind of everything I was saying in the beginning, where I'm this pediatric occupational therapist, I work with children with different needs with special needs. And I am a huge advocate for them in terms of including them on playgrounds, like during meals, like with their family, every area. But then I realized through kind of taking a step back in my own parenting, where I felt like at first I was really, I was controlling everything. And when you were controlling everything, you don't have the awareness of what is actually going on as much for and with your kids. It's more like you're doing everything kind of for them and ahead of them. Um, And so when I started taking this step back, I was like, gosh, you know, I, I don't talk about kindness with my kids. I don't talk about inclusion with my kids. I don't really advocate for them or teach them how to do this. And maybe I I felt like I was doing it a little bit, but not to the extent that I feel like as I'm raising my kids, will this be something that they have practiced so much that it's just a part of their being? Yeah. Right. And I feel like too, with my oldest son, it seems like when you have a child who's more impulsive and needs more kind of touch, it Mm. comes across in his play like he's being aggressive or like he's not listening or being kind. Mm. And so it's even more triggering for me because I'm like, I advocate for all this kindness and I advocate for being inclusive, inclusive. And then I have to worry that my child, and this is again, conditioning is going to grow up and be that bully and have kind of that play out too. And so I just felt like I needed to gather some people together and, and hear from other parents about how they're raising kind and inclusive kids. Because again, I think for a lot of us, when we go and we meet up with other parents or we see them somewhere, we're not talking about that. Mm. Um, at least in my experience, it's a lot of, we see another parent, we react, we reprimand, we try to manage. And a lot of the conditioning around society and how our children should be plays out there, mm. especially around parents who we don't know as well. Like we're not as comfortable. So we're like, oh, I should reprimand my child for you know doing this. Or if mm. two of them bump into each other, oh, we have to say we're sorry and kind of act out all of those things, which I don't necessarily think teach kindness, I think 
they teach like politeness and I, and I feel like the feeling from politeness is missing. Right. So yeah, it's like niceness versus kindness. It's like, be nice and being kind. Sometimes are two different things, right? Like be nice, yeah. being nice sometimes involves saying something that isn't true, like, right. You know, and and right. pretending that you, you know, really like someone and maybe you're just like, actually, I think the kindest thing for me to do is be honest in this, you know, this situation. I love how you mentioned meal times, like, and being included. I think that it's time for society to understand a little bit more about what inclusion really means. That's why I love that you're doing this event because included doesn't just mean you get a seat at the table. You can come and kind of sit with us and eat with us. So my daughter, she's ADHD, we believe. And so being included in a meal for her doesn't look like I have to sit and eat. It looks like I get to take a bite and run a lap of the table. I get to take another bite and do a cartwheel. Now, how she doesn't get indigestion, I don't know, but she cannot sit still and eat a meal. So I could be like, well, you know, you're going to be included here in this meal. It means you sit and you eat like the rest of us. But that's Mm -hmm. me you know, asking her to behave like a neurotypical person and seeing the whole thing through a neurotypical lens when actually like her being included, her feeling included, it being an inclusive meal means she gets to get up and move. Mm -hmm. And like, that was just mind blowing to me. Like, oh God, I used to find that so tricky. I was like, you will sit and eat. And it's like, she can't, she, it's like, she just, if, if she does, if she's forced to, it's a meltdown later over something else because that amount of holding on and that sits as tension and stress in her body as you said like we don't always know what it looks like on the outside someone can just be locking something down and then we wonder why they break something or they hurt a kid or Mm. they hurt themselves and Mm. it's like well how much are we asking them to lock up tight in the lead up to that moment yeah I, I I totally agree and right I think it goes back to a lot of what we experienced when we when we were growing up and you know, sensory processing really wasn't a thing that was talked about like no. in the 80s. And now, you know, one in 25 kids has a diagnosis of sensory processing disorder. And that's not also including the kids who have diagnoses of like ADD, ADHD, kind of all the rest of them. Mm. So if you add those in, it's it's a very high percentage of kids yeah. who have a specific diagnosis. And then thinking about how we are all on the spectrum of being like neurotypical and neurodiverse and how like I can process something in one environment really well and not in another environment at all. And does that make me neurodiverse? Does it make me neurotypical? Like I find that we have, again, I think it can be helpful to put things into boxes so that we understand it. But I think after we understand it, then we have to, we have to come away with the realization that it's all a spectrum. Yeah. So if we really want to put something in a box, we can, but we can also take it out or like expand it and shift it. And so I think that's the part that we're kind of missing. Yeah, man, I love these conversations so much, but I do like to keep this podcast nice and bite-sized. So let's wind us up, but would love to have some further conversations with you. Of course, people can come and find you on, what's the best place? Facebook and Instagram. You have a podcast yeah. as well. You want to tell us about that? The podcast is actually really cool. I think it's for, it started off for kids. And so there's a bunch of episodes on there that are just really things that I learned as an adult that I wish I learned as a child. And it goes back to a lot of sort of deconditioning, this conditioning. And then on top of that, I've been hearing, recording the stories of parents and how they're raising their child or what the experience was that they had with their child around being inclusive or excluded and how we can shift that. And that's been really fascinating for me. And so I added all of those there because I think 
it's nice to have a place for parents and kids to listen to something together, some things being more for kids and some being more for parents. But, you know, again, like kind of all inclusive. So yes, that's a podcast. What's Facebook called? page. What's the Facebook um, It's page? called, the podcast is Full Circle from Parents to Kids with Natalie Charlotte. The Facebook is just MS Natalie Charlotte. And that's the same thing on Instagram. If you have a child who has more like kind of air quote sensory issues, I have a page called Rewired with Mm -hmm. Natalie Shellett where I kind of go into more of these details in terms of the scientific aspect or just anything that's more related to the kind of that sort of stuff is over there too. I love that. And I love that this episode is not just for parents. Like obviously there's some fantastic resources for parents, but I think anybody who like not all my audience has kids, but they know kids, they're around kids. They might have nieces and nephews, but we're all around kids. And I think that everybody has like, you go to the beach and you watch the kids run around and watch what they do with their bodies. Notice how when they need to move, they move. Right. And like how often do we sit at a computer and then go oh god my back's so stiff I haven't moved in forever it's like kids don't do that they move when they Mm -hmm. need to move until we program that out of them so even if you're not a parent I think that just like have watch the kids around you watch what they do you know probably the younger the better right like the less the conditioning has gotten to them and just yeah, if you can get yourself around some homeschool kids and, and you'll probably notice the difference. And it's not to say that, you know, a homeschool kid has a better environment than a, than a school kid. That's not necessarily the case at all. Some kids really, really thrive in school and some schools are getting so much better at allowing kids to be who they are and, and, and to lead themselves a little bit more. I think if we're going to raise, you know, self-led humans, we've got to let them lead themselves a little bit as long as they're safe, as we said. So yes, yeah, so I'll drop links to all of those things. Of course, thank you so much. I highly recommend everybody come and find you whether you're a parent or not natalie charlotte you are wonderful it's an honor and a pleasure thank you thank you i hope you loved this episode if you did you will absolutely adore formidable women formidable women is a beautiful online space that i created that is for the women of the world who want to be more powerful more courageous and more clear as they move forward in their lives and make a positive impact in the world You can check it out at carlymarie.com forward slash formidable. It is a monthly membership and anytime and it gives you access to my entire suite of online courses for the time in which you are enrolled as well as live new content every week. I would love to see you join us and be a part of that beautiful community. Head to carlymarie.com forward slash formidable.